in my core, I knew it was wrong because I was losing like friends and stuff and I was alienating myself a bit like with certain groups of people and stuff like that and not hanging out with other people, not doing certain things. Now that I look back at it, I can see those sort of patterns that were forming. Mm. But at the time, I had no idea. Didn't even, didn't think anything of it. That's Ben Wade. He's a passionate personal trainer and a dedicated father who's also a recovering drug addict. Ben went from first trying ice to using every day and his life soon fell apart around his habit. You know, I ended up with like really like bad teeth because of it and poor like yeah health and like absolutely no fitness or anything like that. His marriage broke down and the possibility of not being able to see his young son became very real. But Ben bounced back, replacing drugs with fitness and finding purpose that set him on the path to becoming the man he always wanted to be. Welcome to Young Blood, an award-winning podcast on a mission to make the mental health of young men a top priority. My name's Callum McPherson, I'm a journalist, and this is our platform to open up and share stories of what we've been through because we're not alone. Let's do it. Trigger warning, if you find anything spoken about in today's episode distressing, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14. Ben, how would you describe yourself before you got into drugs? Before I got into drugs, honestly, I don't really remember. I was young when I first started doing anything in the way of drugs and stuff. Maybe 12, 13 years old, I started smoking weed, that sort of thing. So yeah, pretty typical. At a really young age. So prior to that, I was just, I guess, your average kid riding his bike and playing basketball at the local high school, I mean, local school and things yeah. like that. But yeah, I don't really know. It was just, I, I thought it was just a typical kid growing up. My parents separated around about that sort of time as well. Uh -huh. So that might have been what sort of kickstarted it. I don't know. It's just sort of what a lot of kids that age are experimenting with, mm. though, especially smoking weed. Mm. How did that start? Was it just like a friend? sort of had it one time yeah i think so yeah there was a friends that had it and we knew of friends parents that did it and stuff like that and it was just always there's just that curiosity i guess yeah. i've always been curious kind of kid and i was always too big for my boots always too quick to try and grow up and be the bigger kid and uh -huh. that sort of stuff yeah hung around older people older friends older siblings and stuff like that as well so yeah me too yeah, when yeah. i was that age or slightly older i first got into smoking weed because i had mates who were older and mm. they went to a bit of a rougher school and then i thought i was cool for doing it and it's yeah. just one of those things that sort of happens yeah how did that progress from smoking weed like through your teen years into your uh, early adulthood yeah so i guess it just started off with the smoking weed and stuff and then just experimenting with different things again hanging out with older people People started going to nightclubs and stuff and I was trying to get in and like that sort of thing. And I guess that's when it sort of started with like party drugs and experimenting and going out. And then as I got older and started going out more and I was coming a bit like kind of dependent on it. And there was times where I wouldn't go out if I wouldn't be able to get stuff and things like that. Yeah. Like, it was, So did you get into pills after yeah, weed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. that was pretty much on oh, like acid as well. Oh, okay. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like a bit of weed and then like acid and stuff. And then, yeah, so from then it was under like speed, like powdered speed. Back, like when, back when you could still get speed back Apparently, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so or apparently who knows what it was, but that's what we were told. Yeah. And then like pills and stuff. And then from, yeah, that was just like partying. Yeah. And then partying turned into during the week and then during the week kind of turned into almost every day. And so then I would have tried, you know, different things um, over the times, just more in the party sort of sense. Yeah. But then it would have been, yeah, like I said, it just turned into like after parties and then weekends and then stretched out. And yeah. Then, and obviously yeah. when you're going out doing pills, that's for the night, but it's not the kind of drug that you get hooked on. You can no. develop a, a habit for mm. sure where you need it to go out. Mm. I was like that myself at mm. one point in time, but it's not the kind of drug that you're doing every no, day. No, not really. You're not really going to be functioning on it or as or not. Yeah. You know, you're not really going to be 
trying to function yeah. and run a normal life. Like <laughs> if you're right. taking pills every day, it's not going to have the same sort of effect. Yeah. So when did meth get introduced? I think I was about 20-ish, I reckon. I sort of remember like the first time I actually tried it and first time I smoked it and I was like, I think I tried it like eating it and stuff before yeah. that. Like I think, but it was really the smoking it that really is when it really took hold and like that's when I honestly became addicted to it more than anything else. Like, Did you know what it was like when you first started? Yes and no. Like I had an idea. I knew what meth was and stuff and I'd seen the progression and things like that of mm. like from the speed to the meth and then people, it was when so I people remember. people you knew had Yeah, that. and I remember being told that it was like, like speed but the pure form. I think that's how it was explained to me at and first. And you'd already done speed powder right. so thought like oh, it couldn't be yeah. That yeah, bad yeah, or yeah. whatever. And I was like, you only have a smaller amount. Like that's how it was kind of explained to me as well. But yeah. it's more like potent lasts or stronger longer or lasts and... longer or whatever, whatever. I remember the first time I smoked it and I had a work thing. Like the next day I had to get on a plane to go to Queensland to do a work conference type thing for the business, for the company I was working for at the time. I didn't sleep a wink that night. I went home, packed my bag three times, like cleaned my room, did everything that I needed to do. And then like just... Felt amazing though. I didn't feel bad. I like, felt great, and even like ready to go the next day. I wasn't even really that scattered or anything. I remember like just doing everything I needed to do. And I was like, "Oh, I've actually got through this the whole weekend, really, and just on a high the whole time." And then it seems like a, a miracle drug, doesn't mm. it? Because At you start, think like, yeah. "Oh, there's no, I don't have to pay the piper. There's no downside to this yeah. sort of a thing." But we know yeah, I was like, productive. I was getting stuff done. Yeah. You know, and that's what people this, say yeah. in the beginning stages of using meth, like felt like you, you were more productive, you mm. could get more done, you felt better, you know, you have that euphoria, but then also feel like, you know, you're more self-confident, less worried about things, and then you want that feeling to continue, mm. but it doesn't, otherwise there wouldn't be millions of people with serious <laughs> problems. Serious, yeah, that's it, struggling with addiction and stuff. So, And then I guess from there, I don't really know what happened. I was working and it just kind of had a mate that introduced me to another mate who was like the dealer. Um, and then we were just hanging out and we got really tight, him and I, and yeah. well, I thought we did, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was like helping him out and like, yeah, just, and then yeah. it just became like the pipe was on the table and it mm. was available. Yeah. Yeah. And then we were just, yeah, but we were hanging out day in, day out just, yeah. Yeah. And then ended up wherever I was working at the time, the company that had taken me to Queensland, I ended up quitting that job because I thought I'd be able to make more money and do things other ways. But yeah, yeah that didn't end so well. And how did you view it at that time? Like when you first started using it? Not in a bad way. I didn't. I knew some people didn't really take to it, and I even had mates and stuff that weren't even into it at the time. But then I had others that were and stuff. So I was just like, well, yeah, they don't really into it. So just don't, don't let them know. Or yeah, and then we just do it in like behind closed doors, so to speak. Yeah. And then I didn't really have an issue with it. Like I was, like, oh, it's okay if you don't want to do it. That's your prerogative. I didn't drink or anything at the time as well. Like because I would just like even if I was going out and things, and I'd still be doing pills and stuff if I was going out. But I was never really a big drinker. So, um, yeah, I just do my own thing. And like, well, you, they like to drink. That's what they like to do. Yeah, I so do you this, sort of saw it that I, way where yeah. it's like, oh, well, this is my poison and it's just as bad as if I Pretty was much. to be drinking yeah, all the time. Yeah. I remember saying to someone once, like, you know, they'll come home and have a drink or a beer or something after work and that's not my thing. I'd rather do this. Or Yeah, and you thought yeah. that they were on a sort of an even playing field. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. And I think there's often a bit of a misconception about ice as well lots of people because of the way that it's viewed in society and the ads we see on tv and how it's spoken about like obviously it's a horribly destructive drug but mm. i've heard people in the past say that it's quite sobering and it's not necessarily like you feel like you're out of your mind the whole time no. like what was your experience of being on it 
Yeah, so I've seen those ads and stuff and the, hear about people having like psychotic episodes and that sort of thing from the addiction. See, I never suffered any of that. Like I never had any of those hallucinations, never feel like I yeah, was going crazy or I didn't even get like the itching under the skin or anything like that that some people do. Like some people sit there and pick and, you know, everyone obviously reacts to it differently and has different effects and stuff. So I found it to be like not that bad really. And I, or I, maybe I was in denial of what it was actually doing to my health and my life, my livelihood and my lifestyle and everything else. I did, you know, I ended up with like really like bad teeth because of it and poor like, yeah, health and like absolutely no fitness or anything like that. Mm. So what was your self-esteem like at that time? Uh, very up and down. Like it would really depend on what I was doing. I was like, I was always pretty confident. I always, you know, had thought I had pretty good self-esteem as long as everything seemed to be going all right. I had like a girlfriend or whatever and nothing like that. And didn't at that point, I wasn't at a low point. I was still at a high for quite some time. Well, for a while before I hit any sort of low points and I sort of the depression started to kick in when I, yeah, at a later date. So how long did it take to progress to daily use? Probably not. I don't know. I couldn't give you an exact figure on timeline. Is it, was it like really that. quick though? Or yeah, was probably it? not too long. Like it was probably like start, yeah, we do it on the third, like, you know, or we'll wait till the weekend or, it would do it on over the weekend and then but yeah, it would start from the over. Thursday and then it would go through to the Sunday or yeah. something like that. And then I yeah, just might have a little bit left. So I'll have that on the Monday morning before I gotta do whatever I gotta do or you know, and then it was just kind of just progressively over time. And was it subtle in that you didn't really notice how it was changing you as a person? Kinda, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And do you because, think that's because of the people you are around as well? Like, because it's normalised if, yeah, if, I think if your so. mates are, yeah. are doing it? Yeah, I think so. And it wasn't really like but I knew that the well, I guess in my core, I knew it was wrong because I was losing like friends and stuff and I was alienating myself a bit like with certain groups of people and stuff like that and not hanging out with other people, not doing certain things. Now that I look back at it, I can see those sort of patterns that were forming. Mm. But at the time, I had no idea. Didn't even, didn't think anything of it. Mm. And was that partly you like, you weren't self-reflecting and you weren't self-aware because you were yeah, just chasing the, yeah, the no, tribe? Not at all. The wasn't self, yeah, no, definitely wasn't self-aware. Didn't do any sort of yeah, anything, any sort of work on myself like that at the time. I was just living in the moment, day to day. This is what I'm doing, and that's and the is way that it is. And because, like, whenever you had another hit, it kind of took that, maybe that feeling of being insecure away, or feeling like you had to work on something. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I just didn't really think about it at the time. I guess it was not really front of mind at all. I was just doing what I was doing, and then if I wasn't, then I'd be chasing it again. Yeah. Mm. And so what about your girlfriend at the time? Did she have anything to say about it or did you keep it, like try and hide it? Uh, no, I didn't, wasn't, never hit it or anything early on. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I was always open about what I was doing and stuff. And some I had, yeah, they were, yeah, sometimes I'd get involved and then other times they wouldn't or whatever, more on the weekends and stuff. But yeah, I wasn't trying to hide anything and the, yeah, no, it was all good. So culturally it really felt like, you know, this isn't that bad. It's not affecting me in that bad of a mm. way. At what point did you start to think, oh, actually, this is a problem? I don't know. I was kind of on and off a couple of times. Like, you know, I'd be on it for a while and then stop and then, you know, try and get, well, not really try and get off, but it took a while. I had a few people trying to intervene. Like my sister tried to like intervene a couple of times and, you know, help me to get off it. But I just wasn't really ready, I guess. I had to hit that low point or hit that rock mm. bottom, unfortunately, before I'd um, make any changes. I'd get off it for a while and then I'd end up going back on it. It was over a course of years, like probably up, like it was on and off, up probably over a, nearly a 10 year period. 
And why was your sister trying to get you off it initially? Oh, because she could see the damage it was doing to me, I guess. And uh, um, she always looked out for me. I think I said something about that once before. But yeah, she always looked out for me and always had my best interests at heart. And so, yeah, she was trying to, I guess, get me off it because she could see the damage it was doing. What else was going on in your life that was contributing to your, your using in that decade, like in terms of relationships and work and stuff like that? Yeah, I don't know. I was on and off with work. I had to had some like jobs, pretty steady jobs for a while, but then I'd lose them because I'd just start not showing up. Or, mm. But that, most of the time I was in jobs for a couple of years. Every time I had a job, I would always kind of have a good progression. I'd always aim for the top and be able to work my way through a business or something because I've always been very target orientated and stuff mm. like that when it comes to working and had pretty good work ethic. But at the same time, I was slacking off because I was getting distracted by certain things like this, like mm. of worrying about getting on or finishing early on a Friday so we can Did go out. Did you also or, think that that was, that meth was helpful though, in a way? With work, yeah, like to work. be able to get stuff done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. at times, yeah, for yeah. sure. Because I felt like I was productive and I could smash out the whole day or whatever and not even like hesitate. And I remember getting compliments or praises or feedback from like management at the time saying, oh, you're doing such a great job. You know, you keep doing what you're doing. Mm. I was like, all right, <laughs> I will. Well, I think that's another bit of a misconception. People think that, you know, a drug addict can't function mm. in society at all. Mm. And anyone who's got a habit like that, be it, you know, meth or heroin or whatever mm. it is, can't function in society, can't hold down a job. And often people do. And often people will be living with addictions and mm. you won't know about it. Yeah, you know, even if it's a, a drug addiction for a long time until it totally spirals out of control. Yeah. 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 So that's sort of where I was at, I guess, and one of the jobs I was in for like five years plus, and I worked my way through the business and I was productive and I, you know, got raises and, you yeah. know, new positions and all that sort of stuff and was really good at what I was doing. But for a majority of the time, I was, yeah, yeah on it. And did your drug use sort of plateau at the same level for years? Because you often hear, obviously, it stops having the same effect. People have to use more and more of it and mm. end up in debt. But it doesn't seem like that. A little bit. It did end up like I did end up in debt and did end up like, you know, having to sell cars and do things like that to mm. sort of, you know, to to supply the habit sort of thing. Yeah. But it would go, like I said, it would kind of go in waves as well a lot of the time. So there'd be white times where I'd be getting on it for ages. And then I guess an inner voice or something would probably tell me without me realizing at the time that, you know, I need to back off. So I would for a while, but then it would be to the itch or the urge would come back and I'd be back on it and like, yeah. And the thought process every time you got back on it, do you remember what that was? Like what, what that justification was? No, not really. I was just, cause I, I didn't, I honestly, I didn't really care to be honest at the time. I didn't really care. I didn't have any kids or anything. I didn't have any um, responsibilities. I didn't really have anything or anyone to worry about except myself is what I thought. Mm. Didn't think about the family and friends and stuff. It was very, very selfish in its nature that I was just worried about myself and what I was doing. Didn't care about, you know, my parents or my mom or my sister or whatever else. And if they tried to intervene, then I just would push them away. Because you're in a relationship with ICE then. I guess, yeah, in yeah. a way, yeah, yeah. You feel like that drug makes it hard for you to care about other people just because of what it does it to can you. do but it can also um, enhance that like you might have really strong feelings about certain people or certain things because mm. i guess if they're involved in that or they're feeding the feeding the addiction or they don't tell you there's something wrong with it i guess then you might be drawn more to those people or you might really cling on to those people mm. but it might be the fact that the ones that are telling you that it's not good and you don't want to hear it they're the ones that you like push away and yeah, stuff. Even though they're the ones that really care about Correct. it. Correct. Yeah. But yeah. it's really hard. Like someone who's in that situation really has to, 
they have to hit rock bottom really like there's no other way around it you can't tell an addict i don't think anyway in my experience you can't tell them that they're an addict because they won't they won't see it or they won't believe it they have to be ready yeah to they have to, yeah and that can take a lot longer than for some than it does for others what about your social group and sort of the influences that being on drugs brought into your life yeah there was some not so positive i guess and ended up in some situations that you know not where you'd want not where i'd want my son to end up and things like that looking back at it not really when i was super young i guess it wasn't too bad it wasn't until like i was i was in my 20s really like early 20s that sort of stuff was happening and or you just end up like you know sitting around a table somewhere or in a laundry somewhere at like 5 a.m and like like what am I? Okay, I remember looking a couple of times, like just looking around and saying, "Like what am I doing here? Why am I yeah. here?" Like, it's, yeah. And they're the times when you, then you get home and you sleep it off, and you'd be like, "Oh yeah, I'm not doing that again." And you might go a week or two weeks mm-hmm. or a month or something like that, and then it would just cycle back around. Mm. And those so, come downs are so bad. Yeah. When it is and happening. like yeah, you then like but you soon forget. Yeah, exactly. Because mm. unfortunately, like the high outweighed the low mm. most of the time. Mm. So what was your rock bottom? So I'd been on and off for years and it wasn't until like I was married and my son was born that I had another like a relapse type thing and I ended up getting back on it and I was telling my wife like lies and stuff of where like where I was going and what I was doing and that things just weren't adding up and I was getting I was bad like with money and like not paying things when I was supposed to and stuff like that and she kicked me out. Uh, We tried and we went through things and she gave me chances and she did all the right things. But yeah, she kicked me out and I was out on my ass essentially. And she told me I wasn't going to see my son anymore, all that sort of stuff, unless I sort of got my act together. And like, so she pushed me to do something. And it was at that point that I had to move away from the area that I was living because that was the only way I could see that I'd be able to do it. Mm. And just cut, like not alienate myself as such or not cut myself off, but I just had to, I moved down the other way, other side of other side of the city which i'm sure there would have been plenty of stuff in that area but i wasn't looking for it i didn't know anyone i knew and it was more important for me to be able to rebuild myself so that i could have that relationship with me that was more uh, with my son sorry that was way more important to me than anything else and it always had been so that was the breaking point and that was my rock bottom when i was was unemployed i think i just got a job or something and but she kicked me out and told me i wasn't going to see my son those two things were right all right that's it it's time to time to do it and moving yourself out of that immediate environment was crucial yeah 100 percent for me like and for most people probably is as well so (laughs) so how long were you off it before you ended up relapsing and that caused the in the in that relationship and stuff uh i've been on it a little bit at the start but then i got off while she was pregnant or something along those lines and then sort of probably only a couple of months or yeah i think that sort of thing i think i lost a job as well in that period so I think my son had just been born and I lost a job that I'd had for like five years or something mm. because I think I'd relapsed in that time. And then, yeah, so. How do you think that contributed? Which, what do you mean? Like losing your job and then having your son. Is that part of what sparked you to get back on it or? Uh, yeah, maybe. I think, I think, and then I just say, I think from memory, I don't 100% remember, but I think from memory, some old friends or people I hadn't spoken to for a while sort of came back around or mm. sort of got back in touch or I, I think I'd cut myself off from some sort of groups of people and then I think somehow I bumped into one or something and then mm. we hung out just to have a beer or something and yeah. I think it just sort of spiralled from there. And that's the thing, it's so easy to slip back mm. into 
this sort of stuff when yeah. you know people who are still connected to it and yeah. you can't help but run into people and everyone's still going through challenges in life and of, often if you've coped with things going wrong in the past by using then mm. when stuff's when you're struggling with things that can come back into the phrase like yeah. the yeah. sort of time that you want to do it yeah 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 so yeah it was very stressful and stuff and losing that job and then having a new son and things like that like mm. having a newborn child how are you viewing yourself were you more concerned at this stage in your life because you had more on the line i think so yeah I think it wasn't just it was. about you yeah, it wasn't just about me anymore and then like i'd always thought that you know once i have a my son here, you know, because I really idolise my dad. He's a really fit guy and everything, and I always have done, and I wanted that for my son. So, like, and then looking at myself and where I was at, I'm like, this is not who I want to be. And, and you still never trained at that point? Me? Yeah. I had done little bits on and off over the years, but nothing serious. I'd played basketball. Mm. Like, you know, I'd been semi-fit, but never really in, like, good shape or never. I'd always wanted to but other things outweighed that want. Like it, it wasn't high on my priority list mm. at that time. I think having that base of discipline and that structure of training to your life mm. as a young man is really crucial. Mm. Like for me, I've always trained, like always played sport and then always gone to the gym. And even when I was partying and doing things that weren't great for my body, part of the thought process was, well, I still need to be able to get to the gym. I still yeah. need to be able to train because this is important to me. Yeah. And I think like having that there is a reason probably helped me not go too far off the rails. And I think that's probably the same for a yeah, lot see, of Yeah, see, I didn't guys. have that. That sort of stuff was the first things to slip. Like I used to surf and I'd skate and I'd play basketball and do all that sort of stuff. And all that stuff would just go out the window because I'd been up for three days. and Yeah, and everything's <laughs> and, too hard. Yeah, yeah, and I was, yeah, I'd rather go out and party and stuff mm. and then sleep during the day or whatever rather than, and I was even like playing basketball for a while there and I'd play basketball like a Tuesday night and a Thursday night or something. I remember going to my mate's house a couple of times before going to play basketball and then going to play basketball. Like, yeah. Yeah. But you just lose interest in those commitments and I suppose also your keeping track of time mm. kind of falls out of place too if you're yeah, staying up all night and then yeah. not sleeping during the day and it all yeah. becomes a bit of a blur. Yeah. How did you start to dig yourself out of that other than moving away and taking yourself out of the environment? What did you change within yourself to be able to make some progress. Well, I just knew from, like, I knew at that point that it had to happen. I knew I got, there was an email that I got like CC'd on by accident or something and I had been labelled deadbeat dad by my ex-wife in that as the like contact name or something like that. Yeah. And that was another thing that I was like, deadbeat dad, like, are you freaking kidding me? What is this? Like I was really, I guess, now that I look back at it. Were but you able to see that at the time or just When angry? I saw that message or come through, I got, angry first up I was like and then I was like well I'll I'll show you deadbeat dad and uh, that's when I decided I'm gonna from this point forward be the best version of myself that I can be for not only as a you know fuck you to her but like yeah to for my son as well because he doesn't need to see me in this as this he needs to you know I want him to see me as the best version of myself as the best dad I can be you know as the best role model motivator inspiration for him that I can be and this is not that dude so that but I knew that, that was in me you. yeah 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 so yeah. I knew that was in me though so and that's like uh, we've been separated I've been clean for seven and a half years or something like that like it's been quite wow. a long time now congratulations man thanks man I appreciate that yeah. um it's been like, a long time and we've been done doing the co-parenting thing like you know we both got you know new partners and new relationships and everything mm. like that and we get along fine now we do the best we can for my son yeah in that sort of space and she, I, I don't think she holds any resentment for me or anything like that after the conversations we've had, especially recent times. 
Well, you did what you needed to do, didn't you? you know, That's you it. Cleaned I yourself up. up and, I stepped up yeah. to the plate and I took ownership. And so moving forward, like to who I am today, like things like that, like accountability and taking ownership and, you know, are really important to me and really part of my value system. Mm. And like I, I struggle sometimes in day-to-day life and just with what I do for a profession and stuff, like when people just say they can't do something or they don't want to do or more that they can't do it or they just don't do it when I... It Can't seems work. so simple, yeah. Like it's just a simple thing that you could do mm. and it's going to change your life exponentially, but you just won't do it for whatever stubborn reason and stuff. Like, I, I, yeah, I struggle with that. Well, sometimes. and consistency is mm. one of the most important things, but also yeah. one of the hardest for people to be able to implement. Yeah. And as a personal trainer, you know, that really it comes down to that. Yeah. And everyone wants that quick fix. You know, we want that magic diet or like the silver bullet of some exercise yeah. that's going to do it all yeah or like, i want to have the perfect body in three months and the fact is you got to rock up day after day after day year that's after right. year after year People to, and, and not just in gym with your body but like mentally with your mind yeah. with, with staying off drugs with whatever it is like you've got to be consistent you've got to keep doing the work and it's not really sexy you know it's <laughs> nah, sometimes it, it's, it's not, not, man. It's not, it's not everything it's, you see on instagram like you know and especially if you diet like if you're eating well and like you know, you don't see people that are eating well, posting all their meals every day because it's boring. It's the same stuff as day after day, eating pretty bland. Like, yeah, you can have some flexibility and yeah, you can have, you know, meals out on the weekend and stuff like that and still achieve your goals. But it's that day-to-day consistency, getting up at 5 a.m. or whatever that you don't see behind and the, the scenes. Work, yeah, the work behind the results and yeah. not just like the physical results, but who that turns you into as a yeah. person by following that. Yeah. that basis of discipline how do you start to first of all start training seriously and then start to implement actual structure and discipline in your life because you came from having none yeah to having a lot now so when i'd been kicked out i was living with my sister she was only like she lived down the other side of town and she took me in and that was the only place i was crashing on her couch to begin with um and then they made a room up for me and whatever and then i was going to work i just got this new job i was like picking packing orders working in a warehouse that sort of thing um, and then I was just going to work and coming straight home every day. I just made sure that I was just going to go to work and come straight home. No, nothing in between. I was just going to do this for however long. And then I'll slowly start to add in other things. I just knew in my head and I don't know, I never, I never saw anybody. Like I never got any professional help or anything like that. Right. I just like did a bit of research myself a little bit. There's so much more information out now, like with podcasts and with mm. like stuff online and with Instagram and stuff like there's so many tools and stuff there for people to use now. But even seven years ago, or whatever it was, there wasn't a lot of that sort of stuff around. So, so how come you didn't go and seek professional help? I don't know. I didn't feel that I needed it. I, I don't know. Maybe I did, but I just thought I just wanted to try and do it myself because I wanted to prove that I could do it to myself, for myself, if that makes sense. I was voluntarily doing blood tests once a week to prove that I was not on anything. And that was just something that I did. I had the doctor around the corner, mm. uh, the GP, and I went into him and spoke to him and said, look, I need to do this once a week. So you had that accountability. Yeah, yeah. But and you're just white-knuckling it, really. Yeah, yeah. 100%. And then what, I was going to him from work, and then one day I was like, I'm just going to buy a PlayStation or something. Bought a PlayStation, like went to like JB Hi-Fi or wherever it was. Bought a PlayStation. As I was walking out, I saw an old mate that I used to work with years ago. I was like, hey, how you going, man? I right, having a bit of a chat. I was overweight. I was depressed, I was sad, all that sort of stuff. He's like, what are you doing? I said, I was just buying a PlayStation going home. He's like, oh, I'm working at this gym at Edwardstown. You should come past. And I'm like, I drive past there every day on my way to work. He's like, come in. I was like, all right, no worries, all right. Yeah, maybe we'll see. Had a bit of a, like, sat on it for another week or so. And then one night, just randomly on the way home, I was like, I guess I'll stop in and check it out. Stopped in, had a chat with him, checked it out. 
went home, went back, took whatever sort of gym sort of clothes that I had at the time and then went back the next night and sort of haven't looked back since. There you go. So that was a good friend to bump into. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so what did you get out of training when you started, when you went into that gym that I night? guess I got the endorphins and stuff mm -hmm. start to kick in, you know. I got the, started to, you know, I was, I didn't want to, I wasn't happy in myself. My self-confidence was lacking. I didn't like my self-image, anything like that. Um, and I thought, well, if I get into the gym and I'm starting to do the work on myself, then I, um, you know, will start to feel more confident. And then from there, I was just using that as my time and I was just thinking about things and just working through it. And then that became my therapy, so to speak. I know mm. it sounds kind of cliche and stuff and a lot of people say it, but it's the best therapy out there. And I tell that to people now as a personal trainer, like, you know, moving is medicine. Is that a good way of putting it? And the more you can, you know, so that's what I found straight away. And straight away, I was addicted, I guess. It was my new, it was my, it was my new drug. Well, it's I'd, classic, isn't it? People who struggle with an addiction, getting into fitness and then getting hooked on that instead, yeah. which is obviously a lot healthier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I'm a big advocate for you have to be able to replace whatever it is with something else, with yeah. something positive. Yeah. And just going home and trying to abstain and like, you know, yeah. just twiddle your thumbs and not do whatever the bad thing is. Yeah. It's not enough. You've got to replace it with something proactive. Yeah, and it. fitness is a great one. Yeah. And I'd always had interest in the gym and I'd done a little bit here and there, been in and out. And like I said before, I'd always wanted to, you know, do it. I don't, it was always inside me. I always wanted to do it. But like, I, you know, I just didn't have enough of a why. And now mm. I had that why because I want to be the guy, the dad, the person that I know I can be and that I want to be and that I'm going to be. And that was enough of a driver for me, like for my, for my son. And so for that was the, the thought that you'd wake up with and have in your head that kept you in the gym? Yeah, yeah. And then I was just always, I just don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that deadbeat dad. That's not who I am. That's not who I want to be. Mm. And from that point forward, I was just, yep, go to the gym. And then it was just work, gym, home. So that was a new routine. And we're talking about giving up one of the most addictive substances known to man, like mm. a snow walk in the park. A lot of people aren't able to do it. Mm. How did you deal with the cravings and the psychological and physical aspect of um, it? I was a smoker as well, a cigarette smoker for quite mm. a long time. So even when I first started going to the gym and stuff, I was still smoking. That was pretty much the only thing I did. Like I basically cut myself off cold turkey and when, when I lived with my sister and I would still just smoke cigarettes. I think I was drinking a little bit here and there, but then I was like, nah, just... just Got, got rid of that the cravings wise i don't know i think i'd just i'd flip the switch mm. so in my head i'd flip the switch that's not what i was going to do anymore i just it wasn't worth it for me that was more important not being that deadbeat dad and the possibility of not seeing my son yeah because she told me like uh, yeah that i wasn't going to be able to see him and stuff i was like doing like supervised visits i'd get like an hour of fortnight basically yep like not court ordered or anything but that was just her what she wanted and that was i just had to play along with it otherwise i was going to get nothing so having a purpose was mm. such a strong motivator that 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 was enough enough for me yeah yeah i guess it's tricky because everyone's different yeah, in terms it. of how they come off things yeah. and what might work for someone might not work for someone else yeah that's it but, but um, being in the gym and then i had goals and then my mate who i'd run into he was working at the gym so we said i was overweight like i said i was like 120 kilos or something didn't go to the gym, anything like that. So, you know, I'd wanted to get down to like 100 kilos. That was my first initial mm. goal. So that was good. And then once I started seeing results and seeing the scales move and stuff like that, that was enough for me to be able to write, set some new goals and keep going. Um, and how did you start to see yourself differently and how did other people see you differently? I know I just started to feel more confident. I was, I just, I don't know, felt like I had a purpose, like you said before, like I had a bit more of a purpose. 
you know, had a bit more of a skip in my step, um, just had a bit more self-confidence, all that sort of thing. And I guess it was just those endorphins and of training and, you know, start, yeah, just... So how much do you reckon not having had that in your life for your whole life mm. influenced you being on drugs for such a long time? Not having training in my life yeah. earlier on? Yeah. Um, I don't know. They were, like, do you reckon if you were getting that from somewhere else, like a lot of those positive feelings and that self-esteem that you would have got off the drugs sooner or wouldn't have done it? It's a bit hard to say. It is a bit hard to say, yeah, potentially, but I couldn't really answer it because I don't know. And then it might have, I was always curious, even from a young age with drugs and things, like I always had a curiosity about mm. it. So I think... You're always going to try it. You think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I might have come back to it sooner maybe or, but like I said, I think, every, well, my, in my experience, everyone has to hit that rock bottom and has to have that moment mm. of, oh shit, or, you know, this is... Um, what have I done? And yeah. And it seems like throughout that whole drug history, like just looking after yourself and wanting to be better for yourself wasn't mm. enough of a no. motivator until you had the reason of your son. But then your self-esteem must have built to a level where you actually valued yourself a lot more and then you wanted to look after yourself for you as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I always like, I wasn't, I don't know, I always like, like to look after myself to a certain extent. Like I'd like to, you know, clean clothes and keep my hair, like, you know, I used to have my hair styled and stuff like that. So those sorts of things was always, I guess, like on the exterior, but there was a lot going on on the interior that I wasn't dealing with, I guess is one way of putting it. Mm. So yeah, but just once getting into the gym and then having that job and then having the progression plan in the, in the workplace that I was at at the time and, you know, starting to tick goals and then you really getting focused on that. Um, yeah, it was just, for me, it was, yeah. And inevitably in that time when something really difficult happened externally in your life, which mm. could have been a trigger, mm. do you remember any times like that where you thought about it but didn't do it? Mm. Or did it did I think it... maybe a couple of times, but I think maybe early on as well, there might have been a couple of times where I was like, oh, uh, you know, I'd love to go do it or something like that. But then I just think of oh, that deadbeat dad thing that really cut me deep at the time. So I think I, that was enough every time I just go back to that and I just say to myself, do you want to be that deadbeat dad? And then yeah, that wow. was enough to sort of pull me through. Mm. Yeah. How did it feel to realise that all those people you thought were your friends actually didn't care about you? <laughs> yeah, I've, 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 it's not that I think about that often, but that does come up. Like every now and then I think about, you know, a mate or something, I'd be like, I wonder what he's up to. And I was like, well, yeah, he's probably doing the same shit. And most of them are still doing the same shit or they're in jail or they've taken their life or they're not here anymore or whatever it is. Like there's not, I've only got like maybe one. I do have a couple of mates that I've had for a long time who did go through it and stuff as well who are good mates like maybe one mm. probably that i've had the whole time but the others i haven't heard from haven't seen from got no idea where they are tried to look one of them up one time couldn't find nothing so i was just like you know what it's probably a good thing what's so, it what's it like to reflect and know that your life could have gone that way if you didn't get your shit together oh 100 i would have been in jail or dead i reckon is it hard to even remember what it was like to be you then because you're so different now or yeah I'm totally like yeah and like if people see photos and stuff and even just my appearance and the way I carry myself and everything else is totally mm. different like my partner now if she's seen photos of me she's like who is that guy like it doesn't even look like you at all and I'm like yeah I know it's crazy isn't it it's like a totally totally different person mm. so how has your life transformed since getting clean oh so much better yeah <laughs> well I like to think so anyway yeah, so yeah, yeah um definitely. Like I'd had jobs on and off over the years, but nothing really serious. Um, I'd, you know, my teeth, I had really poor, like not poor hygiene, but my teeth were terrible. I hadn't been to the gym, so my physique and stuff was not never what I wanted it to be. Whereas now, you know, I've, you know, totally 
the total opposite, confident in myself and who I am, try to show up as the best version of myself all the time. And now as a personal trainer and like I do the mental health stuff as well. So I'm mentoring people, trying to help them get through things. I can have that positive impact on everyone. And that's enough for me. That's the feeling that, you know, this is what I need to be doing. Tell us a bit about that mentoring. So I've done mentoring for personal trainers, like um, in new to the industry. So getting get me up and helping build a business base and stuff like that. Like I've, create, I've created a pretty sustainable business model for personal trainers and for myself. Mm-hmm. And then I've passed that knowledge on to other people as well, like yep. other trainers as well. And there's no chance I would have done that 10 years ago, 15 years ago, or whatever it was. Like I, like I said, I had on and off jobs here and there, but no sort of drive or accountability or anything about business sense. Now I'm running like one, I just sold and like sold shares in another business, things like that. Like, you know, more of a businessman now than just a personal trainer. And from that has come the mentoring of like their personal trainers and also helping with the men's mental health stuff. So I've got some young clients that are personal training clients that also help get through sort of certain difficult times and help them with different thought patterns and things like that and just trying to find ways through that uh it's super rewarding like i never realized how rewarding it would be until getting involved with it and doing a little bit more it can be draining i've had to find ways for myself to be able to unpack the stuff as well even with the personal training stuff like as people will just sort of unload on you like you take a lot on and that can really yeah like take a lot out of you as well so i had to find sort of ways to work around that and um but yeah i really enjoy the mentoring side of things and then i think from the personal training that was just an almost a natural step with the mentoring and with the um like mental health sort of stuff so and for someone who didn't used to care about anyone but nah, yourself yeah i know it seems like you care about other people a whole lot now. yeah yeah that's right so and that was just something i did off my own back again i'd done the i was doing the personal training thing and like i said a lot of people were talking to me about stuff so i just looked into mental health training just so i knew how to answer certain questions or how to have conversations with people about certain topics and things without taking it on or without giving yeah yeah, more harm than good or giving wrong advice or like because it never never intentionally means to give the wrong advice but sometimes you can say one thing one way and it can be taken totally opposite to what you've intended yeah so that's how that started and then from there i've just had other things and yeah just sort of keep looking out and been part of like chat groups and like men's groups and, and stuff like stuff that with the next step australia. yeah done some stuff with the next step australia with richie done some grew my hair a little bit and dyed it pink and did like a charity <laughs> thing and raised yeah. some money for them yeah done silent like auction stuff and auctioned off some of my services and the gym services as well to help raise money for those guys so yeah it's been good so why does it mean so much to you to want to help people who are in a position like that to be able to build their way out of it i think this is my way of giving back i think from you know from what i did over the years of I think, yeah, not really caring about anyone but myself. And I think now, like now that I'm in a position to be able to give more back and if I can inspire or help or motivate, you know, one person and then help them get out of something sooner or help them to a point where they don't have to go down or as far down the rabbit hole as what I did or sort of, you know, help them navigate their way through it a bit easier, then, yeah, I feel like I've done. Feels good, doesn't it? Yeah, it it does. It's a good feeling. So. (laughs) And how do you think your son sees you? I think, I think, I've been asked this question once before and I didn't really know how to answer it. I think he sees me the way I hoped he would. 
<laughs> he's 10 years old and I think he's starting to go through hormonal changes and stuff. So he's a little bit up and up and down at the moment. But yeah. in the broader sense, I think I like to think he's proud of who I am as his dad. And yeah, that's, that's the most humbling feeling. That's all I wanted. That's why I've done everything that I've done to this point is for that dude. So yeah. So what yeah. does it mean to not be a deadbeat dad? Oh, the best. It's the way it means everything to me to not be the deadbeat dad. And that was enough. Like, yeah, that was a real stab in the guts at the time. It sounds like that was one of the most pivotal moments in yeah. all of it, though. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's like it's only something so small and it would have been done just, I don't know, on a whim or out of spite or something at the time because obviously she was hurting as well, which is understandable. But, yeah. And we know everyone's different, but from your perspective, for someone who's currently in the grip of addiction, mm. what's that first step they can take? Just take ownership, I think, is really a big, really important thing. Just think about, is try to think about more than just yourself and more than just what you're going on. I know it's hard, especially with the addiction thing, and it, like, it's really hard to see outside of your immediate circle or your immediate square, but yeah, just think about who you are and who you want to be and then think about, you know, if you were eight or ten years old and you looked at yourself and that was who you saw, would you be proud of that person? I think that's something really important to like think about. When I was 10 years old, no way did I want to be that. I wanted to be like, I don't know, I wanted to be a professional basketballer or a surfer or, you know, something like that. But yeah, not a deadbeat dad crack addict. Like, <laughs> what do you think 10-year-old you would have think about you now? I think, I think you'd be proud. I think you'd be happy. I think, yeah, I think, you'd, yeah, I like to think so anyway. And what's going to be key, do you think, to just keeping on this, track you sort of seem like the kind of man that nothing's going to stop you and you, you made your mind up and yeah. you've learned some real hard lessons and yeah there's no uh, going i back. think just keep doing the work though is really important like right. just don't always it's not like oh it's all done no. i figured it all out that's and it and sweet. it's yeah. like the consistency thing like you said like you just got to keep doing it keep showing up keep learning don't think you've figured it out mm. like keep talking to different people, looking at different stuff, listening to podcasts like I do the podcast. And then there. how good is helping others with similar stuff for your Yeah, own exactly. So issues. yeah, and just yeah, be willing to help someone and just do it because you can, not because like just because you want to and because you can, not because you think you're going to get something out of it. Mm -hmm. I've never done anything like personal training. I do it as a business, obviously. So it's an income for me, but I'm there to help people. Like it's not just about making money. It's about helping people and changing lives and all that sort of yeah, thing. There's a reason behind it. And the mental health stuff, everything I've done in the way of mental health has been like voluntary or for charity or yeah. whatever. Yeah. So, and it's just about helping other people through it. And then what comes from that down the track, it might open up doors for, you know, as you're getting old, as you get older or, you know, for the next five years or, yeah, you just don't know what way it's going to go. And to be the best version of yourself and to be someone that people are going to remember for positive reasons is the best. Oh yeah, man. I think that's what life's about. Mm. Yeah, 100%. Well, thanks for sharing your story, man, and coming in. Really That's appreciate right. it. It's not easy to talk about stuff in that, that detail, but, you know, you are a role model now. Yeah. And you've come such a long way, and being able to share that story like yeah. that is key to that, man. So yeah. really respect you and where you're at now as a, as a dad and a professional and a, yeah. and a friend and everything. And, yeah, keep, thanks, it, keep it rolling. No, I appreciate it. Thanks. It's not easy to talk about. And I guess that's something else we, uh, for people as well. If they are going through it or they have gone through it, don't be afraid to talk about it. And whether it be the mental health stuff, whether it be addiction or depression or whatever it might be, don't be afraid to talk about it. And don't be afraid to reach out. Like, and you're never going to be a burden. Like, you might think you're going to be a burden. That's a big thing for people, but you're not. Like, 
you know, there's people, there's always someone there that wants to listen and they'd rather listen to your story than... Go to your funeral. Correct. <laughs> yeah. Couldn't have said it better myself. Mate. Yeah. Thanks. That's it for this episode. Thanks to our local business supporters, Heard Financial and First National Real Estate. Making these podcasts isn't cheap and we can't do it alone. If you'd like to become a supporter, please send an email to callum at youngbloodmedia.com.au. If you're getting some value out of the show, please give us a quick rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It really helps us out. You can watch every episode in studio quality video on Spotify and our YouTube channel, Youngblood Men's Mental Health. We go by the same name on Instagram and Facebook and follow Youngblood Mental Health on TikTok. Subscribe to our e-news through our website, youngbloodmedia.com.au. And most importantly, share this podcast with someone who needs to hear it. We're all in this together. Catch you next time.